We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation Sports Talk on a Tuesday. How are you doing? With Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. Jesse's still coming to us from the West Coast for one more day before he heads back to the land tomorrow. Has your uh has your week in California been everything that you hoped it would be? Uh, you know, for the most part. It's uh it's it's getting up at five AM every day, working. Um so, yeah, it's been nice out here. Uh, a lot of work has actually been the main thing. But over the weekend, it was fun to have um, some time off. And it's fun to get done at two and like go down to the pool at the end of the day. So I can't complain. That's I could live with that. I could live with that. Well, hope everybody's having a good day. We've got plenty to talk about today in the wake of uh, Saturday. <laughs> Louisville still talking about it. Sean Davis, by the way, is going to be back with me on tomorrow's show doing another wednesday mailbag with sean davis so looking forward to that he'll be in we'll uh we'll we'll uh have plenty of adventures with sean tomorrow so we've got some whiteboard coming up with a little bit but before we do that i saw this on the board the champions lounge board at irish breakdown and of course if you're not a member of the champions lounge you don't know what you're missing there's all kinds of uh you know interaction and you get like the uh behind the door you know kind of uh, goodies from time to time the intel and all that kind of stuff but someone posted this and i thought it was intriguing is eight and four now the floor or the ceiling for notre dame for the rest of this season they've already got two losses now if you think about last year they're still ahead of last year's pace but last year is last year there were things that we were going to forgive last year that we're not willing to forgive this year but what do you think about this jess eight and floor eight and four the ceiling or the floor for notre dame yeah i think when you're talking about ceiling and floor in terms of an eight and four record uh that's definitely has to be um the floor that is kind of your base that's where you're starting at in terms of marcus freeman in his first year um, and, and I think that if, if eight and four is your ceiling, you're not going to last very long um, here at Notre Dame. And so I, I have to say that's the floor uh, of eight and four. That's that's kind of the bare minimum of where people 
Uh, I think it, you start to go to seven and five, six and six, people are going to get really uncomfortable. Eight and four, again, is that like kind of fringe, um, in, in my opinion. And it has to be the floor um, because going forward, if you keep doing that year in and year out, you're not going to be here uh, very long with this program and the expectations that the fan base has. So um, it, it definitely just can't be the ceiling. I agree. I think that it is the floor as well. I mean, when you look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, it's amazing where we are right now. We're going into game eight, which means we only have five games left. You've got USC, you've got Pittsburgh, you're at Clemson, you've got Wake Forest, and you're at Stanford. And I mean, that, that Stanford game could be a little tricky at the end of the season, especially the way last year's game ended up playing out, even though they have a new head coach and all that. But I you know, I agree. I think eight and four is the ceiling or not the ceiling. It's the floor. Eight. I see now I've got myself turned around and confused. I think it's the floor as well. I don't think that there's any way it's the ceiling because I think, I think this question gets raised because, well, it's Louisville. How good is Louisville? And to an extent, we still don't know. NC state was the best team that they played before they played Notre Dame. Notre Dame now in theory anyway, or at least based on ranking, the best team that they've played so far this season. They're going to play Duke coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to be surprised if Louisville ends up being a 10-2 at worst team at the end of the season themselves based on the way their schedule goes, unless unless they just lay some eggs someplace along the way. But, the, you know, again, they've got Duke in a couple of weeks. They finish with Miami and Kentucky, or, you know, rivalry game Kentucky at the end of the season in Miami as well. Again, like I think that they've got a very good chance to end up being a 10 and two team and probably in the conversation for a new year's six bowl themselves. What's interesting about the ACC is, you know, Louisville's not going to play North Carolina. They're not going to play Florida state. They're not going to play Clemson. Whereas like Duke basically plays everybody. Duke could still end up having a pretty good record and being in New Year's Six contention, but they've got to play, I think, probably the toughest schedule of anybody out there. Louisville plays a much easier schedule this year. So I, I guess my point when I'm talking about this, this is a lot of people want to compare losing to Louisville to last year's Marshall game. And there's I just, just don't buy that. Yeah, there's just a huge difference between the two. Now, you know, it was early on. You looked at Marshall and you're like, oh, this coach and he's got all these transfers and they're going to do so well in the Sun Belt, all this different stuff. It obviously didn't play out that way. Um, this is a this is a much different Louisville team. It's a ranked team for one. They're six and oh, so it's not like they're ranked at the start of the season and you know they're kind of riding on last year's coattails. They had to earn their way to just to being ranked, and they had to earn their way to being six and oh again you know they've got they've got some tough games in front of them but th this th that louisville team saturday night is a much better team than either marshall or stanford last year so like they're not in the same category we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of the Irish Breakdown podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Like you're laying in bed at night with your mind racing a thousand miles per hour and you just can't sleep? Like when you know what you should do, what's good for you, but you just can't do it. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. When you get there, just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Irish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Irish. No, I don't think so at all. I, I would um, I would say that, you know, that, that, this Louisville team is, is not even comparable to um, the, the, uh, the, the Marshall and the, both Marshall and Stanford of last season, both of those losses. This is a very, you know, not, I, I wouldn't say it's a great team, like an excellent team, uh, but I think they're a really, really strong team. And like you said, if you look at the rest of their schedule, there's a good chance that they go, I, I would say nine and three at worst and 11 and one, at best. And if they're 11 and one and playing in an ACC championship, and then maybe even potentially sneak out an ACC championship, are they in consideration for the playoff An 11 and one ACC champ that maybe beats, you know, Florida state who's been highly ranked um, all season. And so I, I think that, you know, just, just seeing how things pan out, you know, Notre Dame is potentially playing two teams now that are going to be playing in conference championships. Both of these teams have le- legitimate shots at making uh, the college football playoff. And both of these teams are still undefeated, you know, and, and ranked within the top uh, 10, 15, if you want to say. So th- it's these these losses so far are not bad losses. They're just frustrating losses because in both instances, they didn't perform well enough to win and they had the ability to perform well enough and win. And in both situations, there, there was different reasons or different downfalls that, that caused their uh, demise. And I think that's the frustrating part is because when you go week to week like this, you can't you can't you can't do something excellent one week and then mess it up the the, the week after and flip flop basically what you're making mistakes on. You can't have yes. different mistakes week after week. You have to consistently be good at those things and then fix your mistakes and not make them again. And that's the issue with Notre Dame right now is they're just yeah. mistakes are popping up at different times of the of the season. Like I said yesterday, they let the way the Ohio State game ended affect the next two games. It, and it's really, they were fortunate to beat Duke. You know, the 12 penalties and and still a pretty inconsistent offense to get Duke. They were fortunate to win that game. And then uh, obviously they turn around and uh, they, they lose the next game after that to Louisville. They let the end of that Ohio State game 
affect the next two games. And that's just kind of where they are right now. David says, starting this year, he thought Notre Dame had a beautifully high ceiling. However, now that the ceiling is closer to me, I now see it as a popcorn ceiling and I need to pay for someone (laughs) to clean it up. Those popcorn ceilings, man. I remember we had the popcorn ceiling back when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. The popcorn ceiling is just a mess. Just no, no popcorn ceilings. You okay there? Yeah, housekeeping came, so I had to very quickly run <laughs> to the door. Oh, good times, good times. Brian and why can't lose to both USC and Clemson. Again, I think that that's the floor for Notre Dame is if they lose both of those games. I just, I'm still trying to work myself mentally into what to expect from this weekend's game against USC. Because, again, Notre Dame is going to have the best defense on the field Saturday night, but USC is going to have the better offense. But really USC, and I think you and I might have been talking about this the other day, really USC is Caleb Williams. Like, their offense is Caleb Williams. They don't have near the, you know, their offensive line is not that great. They don't have near the skill talent around him like they had last year. It is mostly him driving this team forward, and this Notre Dame team is going to be the best defense that he's faced this year. So, again, like processing, you've still got to be able to score some points. That's the problem. I have no idea what the offense is going to look like Saturday night. That's the Yeah, and this is a conversation I had with a friend last night. It's like (laughs) San Jose State scored 28 against USC. Arizona scored – or sorry, Arizona State, I think, scored 28. Arizona, we saw what they did last week. Uh, in that that double or triple overtime game, uh, and we were talking. It's like Notre Dame has to comfortably get into the 30s to win this game. I just don't know if they're going to get into the 30s. But like I said, when you start thinking of you know some of the teams that have put up 28 plus points on USC, Notre Dame should have no issue doing that. It's just a matter if they're actually going to put together consecutive drives uh, and, and good play calling. And, and and score a lot of points because, again, I, I think you need to be in the 30 to 40 range if you're going to beat USC. USC is going to get into the 20s against Notre Dame. And, and like you said, Notre Dame is the best defense that uh, USC has gone up against. And you would hope that in year two, Al Golan has fixed some things from last year, knowing uh, that, that Caleb Williams is more, like you said, the, the catalyst of this offense, that the offense revolves around Caleb Williams. And so it being uh, Al Golan's second year, I expect a lot of big things from Al Golan um, and the defense this week, it cannot look like it did last year with constant breaking down. Caleb Williams scrambling around everywhere. Announcers going nuts because he looks like Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> like it, you just can't see that uh, anymore. Right. And, and then you can't yeah. ask your secondary to guard that long when Caleb Williams is running around in the pocket and wide receivers are starting to, you know, break down in the zone, sit down in the zone and stuff like that. So um, it, it's I, I think it, it, it it's a matter of this. This game is largely predicated on, on the offensive performance and. And that's what the that's been the story of the last three games, in my opinion. The defense has has done enough. Maybe you can criticize some critical spots here and there on the defense, sure. Uh, but overall, the defense has has done far than enough. So uh, I, the offense has to answer answer the bell this weekend. Decaf says, "Pump the brakes, Jesse. Louisville's not making the playoffs." I, I said mean, potentially. I it's hypothetical, right? I, I I do think the scenario that you talked about, if they end up being eleven and one with one of the losses to one of the three good teams, Duke, like if they lose to Duke, but then they run the table the rest of the way to include Miami and Kentucky at the end of the season and find their way into an ACC championship game. 
I, I think they're at least going to be in the conversation. Not not well, saying we, that because then if they win an ACC championship game, that means they've probably beaten, you know, Florida State or a rematch maybe with Duke or North North Carolina. North Carolina's got the best schedule, I think, out of all these ACC teams the rest of the way because again they don't they're not all playing each other they don't have to play Louisville so I don't know that's what I mean and so if you're talking about a Louisville team that's one loss or undefeated against a one loss or undefeated you know Florida State North Carolina and that's the potentially their first or second loss in the ACC championship I don't I don't understand I don't see how you can leave you know a one loss conference championship out of the final four as long as there's other you know one loss conference champions with yeah, one loss conference champions. And I guarantee that that might happen because the Pac-12, the Big Ten, they're all getting ready to play each other. This is this is the meat of the schedule for a lot of these teams that have been taking it easy uh, to to start the season. And, you know, I, I talked to you about this. I don't think in it's in it's an excuse, but it's, you know, the, the buildup of these last four games and the consecutive playing undefeated teams, ranked teams, and then sandwiching, you know, you, but. Ohio State and USC sandwiched between, you know, Duke and um, Louisville. No one thought those Duke and Louisville games were going to be anything. And now all of a sudden they're flexed to 730 kickoffs. Both of these teams are undefeated. Game days rolling through. You know, it's just there's so much hype around all of these games. And I, I, I just big noon kickoff, big noon kickoff, big noon kickoff. There's just so much fatigue around these games. And I think it really settled in oh, uh, this past saying. game. Big noon kickoff coming in this weekend. Game day, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Game day, back-to-back games and all that kind of stuff. There's definitely a lot of hype around them. Jeff said, with what Notre Dame had coming back and the best quarterback they've had since Quinn, the floor should have been 10-2. and two. I agree. 9-3 and three tops. I agree. And 8-4 and four finishes an unmitigated disaster. Completely agree with all of that. But the problem is, Eight and four is a realistic possibility right now, but I also see that as the floor. I don't see it. That would still be bad. Don't get me wrong because of all the things that he outlined, but I still see that as the worst case scenario at this point. But again, you know, like based on what we saw from Marcus Freeman last year, I could also see them somehow figuring out a way to win out the rest of the way. I'm not saying they're going to, I'm not looking at this with rose colored glasses, but I still think it is it is very feasible because we had like so many, you know, hook shot, you know, like like jabs and punches and gut punches and and, you know, everything. They got sucker punched, obviously, a couple of times last year with those losses. And we were ready to write them off a couple of different times. But look at what they ended up doing when it was all said and done. So I just I just don't think that there's a way to write them off right now. They've got a lot to get figured out. As John says, they can't come out flat. Talking about this week, if they do, it's a death knell for Marcus Freeman's ability to get things under control. Completely agree with that as well. What do you think? So let me ask you uh, a question. No, you're not allowed to ask me questions. (laughs) Complete hypothetical here. Uh, And I know there's a lot to happen, right? But if Notre Dame finishes 10-2 and and gets into New Year's Six Bowl, are you happy with the season at this point? Yeah, completely. If they finish 10 and two and end up in a new year's six bowl, I mean, that's like, that's best case scenario right now. Like I know we had, again, like somebody on the, on our boards 
who was was presenting a case for Notre Dame as a ten and two team ending up in the playoff. That's not happening. That's not happening. That's not um, happening. But if they if they end up in a New Year's Six Bowl, I mean, show of hands, who would sign up for that right now? Being in a New Year's Six Bowl. Oh yeah, if you're Notre Dame. Well, that's what I'm saying. Going into the, if you told me at the beginning of the season this team goes to ten and goes ten and two, mm-hmm. um, and makes a New Year's Six Bowl, I think I'd be okay with that because I expected them to lose one of three of Clemson, Ohio State, USC, and then if you you figure in there's a Mulligan somewhere else, and that Mulligan is potentially a Louisville team that again we don't know what's going to happen to them, but if they go to eleven and one in ACC championship. I think you can live with that sort of mulligan, right? And if Ohio State also runs the table again, you can live with losing to Ohio. Like there's 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 still, it still a lot sucks, but at the end of the day you can live with it. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is, is like there is so much more left in this season and while there's so many frustrations that we've seen over these last 3 games, you know, what what did we what did we learn about Marcus Freeman last year when they went through these frustrations? He put, you know, his backup was against a up against the wall and he won some tough games to finish out the season. And I think that's the, that's what you're going to see. That's not me being optimistic. I just think on paper, Notre Dame has a very good chance of finishing out this season uh, very strong. And I, I honestly feel better about USC than I do at Clemson uh, at the moment, because I think, you know, Clemson is more of a physical uh, in the trenches kind of team. And I think that's, what's really, uh, you know, Notre Dame hasn't done well in those kind of games the last three games, getting, you know, getting into these more physical matchups. And so USC is going to want to spread it out, uh, not as not as physical and, and, you know, obviously rely more so on their speed and athleticism. So I I just think there's a really strong possibility to go 10 and 2. And I'm I'm okay with that. And I think that's the frustration that I think everyone has to kind of get over is. We all saw Marcus Freeman. We all saw the recruits and we got a really good quarterback to start the season. Right. And so obviously the expectation is to be better than eight and four. Well, 10 and two is still better than eight and four. And, you know, I, I just think as Notre Dame fans, uh, we, we there's this kind of perception and it, it ties into a lot of how the, the Cowboys are treated, too. It's like it's a, a national championship or Super Bowl bust mentality every season. And as soon as those things don't happen, everyone wants to write them off. Well, it's like, I got to break it to you, everyone. You know, those, uh, those 11 and one, 12 and 0 seasons are way less likely than the 10 and twos and nine and threes. And so I think we need to lower our expectation of what Notre Dame is in oh. general. Oh, They're you're going to get in trouble now. You're going to get in trouble now. Notre Dame is saying you're going to lower expectations. Well, Notre gonna, Dame can't be expected run you out of here, Jesse. to be a 12 and 0 team every year. I, I understand shooting for that and striving for that, but if you fall at 10 and 2, that's still a successful season. That's still uh, there's a lot of positive things that can come out of that, and you're seeing all these freshmen, young guys get on the field in the meantime. I, I just think we have to low, and this is what I came to over the weekend. It really sucks losing these games because you want to believe and you want to go to the for the national championships. But I think we really need to lower our expectations that Notre Dame falls between an eight and twelve window every year, and as long as they're not consistently hitting eight, 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 well, I'm okay with ten wins a year. Yeah. DK says he wouldn't be shocked if. Christian Velo and Pittsburgh knock off Louisville this week. Uh, you know, maybe, I guess we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see where Jeff Brom has the mentality of his team. But uh, DK also says, Jesse, we're not the Cowboys. And, you know, I would have to agree with that DK because the Cowboys, for as much as they get knocked, they have won a championship, three more, three championships more recently than, than Notre Dame actually. So come on. <laughs> But it, look, people are going to love them or, or or hate them. And the expectation, your point was the expectation for both of them is always going to be high 
because of their high profile and the fat, passionate fan base and everything else that goes with it. Um. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to get into that, Mister <laughs> Two Point We're just gonna we're just Did gonna I hurt myself that, on that one. <laughs> just gonna pretend that never happened. Bryce, <laughs> if Notre Dame joined a conference, would it be ACC or Big Ten? I know they have a deal with the ACC. Bring back the Michigan rivalry. It's going to be the Big Ten if it if it happens because that's that's where the money is. That you know, and they'll they'll find a way out of that ACC deal because there is uh, there's more money with the Big Ten. It's that's that's where that's where the, where they will end up if and when that happens. I still think that that is a long shot, um, but that's where it would be. Do you want to break out some whiteboard? Because I wanted to talk a little, you know, like we were talking offense yesterday. Everyone is talking about the offense, the predictability of the offense. Marcus Freeman was asked yesterday about whether or not maybe his offense is too predictable, and here was his answer to that. If we're going to call I mean, we keep saying the word predictability. If we're going to call a play, right, there's a reason we call it, I and mean, we feel like it can have success. We have to execute it. You know, we have to execute it. A lot of offenses are predictable, but you, you can't stop them, right? We can say we, can, we know what USC is going to do, but you have to stop them, right? And so the same thing with us is that, you know, we have to find ways to continue to get the ball in Audrey's hands, right? And what what we can't do is is put our team and our offense in a position where we feel like we have to throw the ball all the time because we're down 10, down 14, down 21. Uh, we can't do that. Um, but we have to block better, and it's not just the O-line, right? Our perimeter, our wideouts, our tight ends, everybody has a piece in blocking, and we have to make sure we're blocking and a lot of times, if you don't have success running the ball, everybody says it's the offensive line's ball or it's predictable or, you know, whatever term we want to use. But it's it's there's a lot of people involved with making sure they get their job done so we can have success running the ball. So it all boils down to coaching. I'm not going to point my finger at the players. It's, it's coaching and making sure that our guys know exactly what to do. And then they go do it so we can execute on a play that maybe you can predict what we're doing. Yeah, you know, coaching execution, that's what he's putting it on. And like he said, he's not going to point the finger at, at the players. He's not pointing the finger at his assistant coaches either. But I guess the problem I have with what he's saying there is, you know, a lot of a lot of teams are predictable, but they still come out and they execute the play. Well, the problem is they're Notre Dame is predictable right now, and they are not coming out and executing the play. And when you come out, and your offense is facing eight and nine man boxes. And based on formation, the defense knows with pretty high probability what you're going to do, at least the kind of play that you're going to run, <laughs> then it shoots your argument right down the drain, right? Ah, I came with a lot of ammunition today. And I got right. I, I I'm I just need to make some disclaimers here. Marcus Freeman, I love you, brother. But <laughs> that was a whole pile of crock of crap. What everything that just came out of his mouth in there. So, you know, I, first of all, he says we we need to block better, right? That's something I heard in that statement. We need to block better. Well, let me bring up my first screen for you real quick and you tell right. me you tell me it. how how the blocking is uh looking in this picture. What do we see right here? Do we see Every guy a hat on hat blocking someone in this picture. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. We see a hat on hat, right? Every offensive player that Notre Dame hats has on here, hats and you still have three guys unaccounted un- for. So what does that mean? That means that you have nine guys in the box and you're running 13 personnel. It's not hard. You, they just, they're outmatched. They don't have enough guys to block how many guys are in the box. So, okay, Marcus Freeman, let's, that's the first thing that we talked about. Let's block better. Okay. Um, and then he, he, he then goes into certain sets you know, mean certain plays. And I get that, that, that is, that is, that is part of football. Sometimes you're lining up in a play and you're going best on best and you're just relying on your guys being better. Um, and, and you're relying on just getting the push, right? Well, I, I, I hate to break it to you again, Mr. Freeman. Uh, but let me, let me, I, I went through all of Notre Dame's offensive drives this last past game. I stopped, um, after the, uh, interception, and then there was one more drive after that, a fourth down sack. I saw, I didn't count the touchdown, and I didn't count um, the, the, very the fumble. End, the last yeah, two drives. That was yeah. BS. The game was over at that point. That's what I was telling Vince yesterday. By the time the game got to that point, I'm I'm already trying to put the finishing touches on my story. It's like the, the, the outcome is pretty much known at that point, and I keep looking up, and it's like, are you kidding me? This game is still going on? How is it not over yet? Uh, but yes, alas, it did continue for a little while. It kept us all in our misery. So what do you what do you have here? Yeah, so uh, I, I like I said, I went through all the drives. Notre Dame had six uh, first half drives, uh, six second half drives. So what did I, I do here? I, I guess I want to kind of show everyone uh, what I was looking at first. Uh, I looked at personnel and then I, in parentheses here, you can see S or C. Uh, S means shotgun and C means under center. So I'm tracking is the, you know, are they in shotgun? Are they under center? Uh, obviously the next column is runner pass. Um, and then I, I, I threw in some pre-snap motion and we'll get into that here a little bit later. And then I, I took the time to count how many players were in the box at the snap of the ball. Right. And okay. so we're looking at personnel grouping. We're looking run and pass motion. And then the amount of you know, players in the box and then the overall net rate of the play. Did we lose? Did we gain? Did we fumble? Um, did we throw an interception? And so I wanted to uh, compile some data here and we will get into these now. So this is the, the master spreadsheet, right? Like this is this is all of the, the tracking to get down to the numbers uh, that I'm going to get into real quick. And I want to kind of go there we go. Um, so you can't see them all at once. So let me kind of zoom this in and see if we can go one at a time. So uh, total plays. 55. That's how many plays I tracked through the 12 drives. Um, out of those 55 plays, they ran motion 18% of the time. And wow. I just think that's an incredibly low amount of motion, pre-snap motion, because, you know, you, you start looking at <laughs> some of the, and you, you might've heard this last night or maybe watching the Sunday night football game. I can't remember what it was, but there was basically Miami, um, Miami, Kansas City, and one of the other top offenses in the league run pre-snap motion 75% of the time or better. So we're talking about the best offenses in NFL are running pre-snap motion 75% of the time. And then we look at a Notre Dame offense that's struggling, but has a ton of athletes, uh, fast athletes, you know, Rico Flores, Jaden well, Greathouse, Chris Tyree. Um, and, and then ability, if if you're struggling too, you put guys in motion to maybe exploit ma- ma- you know matchups, get mismatches amongst uh, you know your, your your maybe you notice too many players in the box and you want to motion. There's things this that is, you can do with motion. 
This is something that Dan Orlovsky actually tweeted about the other night that Notre Dame's offense is incredibly stagnant and there's not enough pre-snap motion in it. I saw that tweet from Orlovsky, you know, like after he had, had watched him, I think. I think that was Sunday night maybe or Monday morning that he tweeted that. Just, just to make your point, 18% is an incredibly low number. What, yeah, other, especially- what other data do you have, you know, in terms of some other stuff that they've got? Uh, so out of the, the times that Notre Dame were under center and had multiple tight end looks, whether that was 12, 13, we saw 14, and I think we saw 22 once. So anytime they had multiple tight ends, um, and, and were under center, so they had 11 plays out of multiple tight end personnel under center, that run percentage was 82% of the time wow. that they were going to run the ball with multiple tight ends under center, right? Um, and, and so that averages out to that there was 11 plays out of those out of those 11 plays. They ran the ball nine times for 82 percent. Right. OK, so let, let's what's the net loss uh, or gain on on plays under center uh, in these multiple tight end sets? We're averaging two yards a run play and, and you're running uh, out of center with multiple tight ends 82 percent of the time. So 82 percent of the time you're running it and you're only getting two yards. Two yards. That's, that's quite incredible. Right. Not good. Um, and so then uh, I, the next thing I was looking at is how many players were in the box under center during these plays. They were averaging 8.6 players in the box when they're running all these multiple tight end looks. And you're talking uh, about Louisville's defense, obviously. Louisville's defense. They had an average of 8.6 players in the box when Notre Dame showed up in 12, 13, or 14 personnel, and they ran out of that 82% of the time for two yards. So you're telling me there's almost an average of nine guys in the box they're running the ball 82% of the times when nine guys are shown in the box and they're only getting two yards net uh, on average, essentially. So, I mean, you tell me, Marcus Freeman, if if you're showing your hand a little bit about what you're going to run and how those plays are, are being run and how successful they are when, when you're completely under center, giving your hand that you're going to run the ball. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Next thing I looked at is I thought Jeremiah Love had a great game. I wanted to track uh, how many plays he touched the ball and, and what his kind of yard average yards per play were. Jeremiah Love was involved in seven plays in terms of the run and pass game. He averaged 7.6 yards every time he touched the ball. And so when Marcus Freeman just said in that clip, we need to give the ball to Estime, I, I don't I don't agree with that either. I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more dynamic of, of Jeremiah Love getting some touches in there because he's obviously if, if a guy who's averaging 7.6 yards per game uh, when he touches the ball, that's a guy that needs to see more of the ball. 
uh, in my opinion. And when you're lining up in multiple sets and running estimate down the middle and everyone knows you're running, you're only getting two yards. Why are we not hitting the outside with Jeremiah Love? You know, he's he's averaging sure. seven point five uh, yards every time he's touching the ball. Um, and so then the last thing I looked at was how many plays were at a shotgun? Uh, Forty four. So out of the fifty five, eleven were under center. Uh, nine of those 11s were run and then out of shotgun 44 plays they passed the ball 75 percent out of the time so we're talking Notre Dame when in shotgun you know empty set 11 12 whatever you want to call it when they're in shotgun they're there there's a 75 percent chance of pass and when there is when they're under center with multiple tight ends there's an 82 percent chance of run I think those are high predictability uh, of, of, you know, what, what a team can pretty much assume three out of four times at minimum, what's going to happen based mm-hmm. on, based on some simple alignments. And so I don't know, Marcus well, Freeman, you can say that, uh, that you're not predictable and, and all of those things, but you, you, your offensive coordinator is putting you in horrible spots on third and short, fourth and short, putting, you know, getting under center and telling everyone that you're running and you're losing plays. You're, you're horrible well, in third and short. And that's what I was going to say, because then if you boiled it down even farther, like of those run plays, what's third and short, what's fourth and, you know, and and like if you dug deeper based on format, you know, like those third, like of those runs, those third and shorts are going to be some of those and they become even more obvious based on the personnel that you have on the, you know, who the running back is, whether you're under center all these different things. And you've got the extra tight ends. And that's what I always like with Tommy Reese. That's what I hated about the extra tight ends. It's like, it, you know, it's one thing if you want to run it on third and short, but to bring in all these tight ends, we, you know, this is a conversation we had to have all last year. You're bringing this 12 and 13 personnel on the field. All you're doing is inviting more hats in the box and creating more mismatches, you know, just in terms of the numbers advantages like you were talking about, like, you know, in that photo that you showed, it's like all these guys had hat on hat, but you still had three free men because there were too many men in the box to be accounted for. And it's all because of the way you're lining up with them. So way you're lining up and you're, you're just, you're, you're just tipping your hands before the play has even started. Right. And so we started talking about the third and shorts here. Right. So, uh, drive, drive five. Uh, this ends in the Tyree fumble third personnel. It's uh third down. We are, uh, under center 13, uh, a loss of two, right? So that's a, that's a fail on a third and short situation. Uh, let's find another third and short third and short, uh, on this drive where SMA, uh, it is 17, 13 Louisville, right? This is a critical point in the game. Another third and short. What do they do? They get a loss of one because they're, uh, you know, again, in 12 personnel. Um, it's just it was a common trend of tipping your hands and especially on the third and shorts and the critical downs. And it just made life so much easier uh, for Louisville. And I really didn't understand it because they came out of the gate passing. Right. Like right. that's what was going to beat Louisville. And they had a little bit of success. And all of a sudden, you know, Sam Hartman throws one bad ball and it's time to just abandon everything almost it feels like well but you know even even that like when you look at that play i really question the play call you were you had one receiver in a in a man-to-man situation and there were no other receiver it was it was it was basically like that was that was a one read throw like he was just going to throw that as a jump ball no matter what happened and it happened to be rico flores over there so like it's like why rico flores 
in that situation? Why was that the only wide receiver out there in that situation? And then again, just because that happened to be an interception, you completely abandon that game plan and you try to go to something else. And it obviously never worked the rest of the night. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. And I think, you know, the, the big thing and the last thing I'll kind of share here uh, is like a uh, an actual play. This is the phase on uh, touchdown play. And I'll tell you why I really like this play, um, because what Notre Dame was able to do here is they were able to essentially, you know, first of all, you have to look at the formation. This ball is, you know, uh, on the left hash. Uh, they're in 11 personnel with the tight end to the boundary, uh, running backs to the field side and three wide receivers to the field side. Faison uh, is in the slot in this play. And the reason why this play is so successful is because Notre Dame was able to kind of bunch it in here, right? Like technically you kind of have like seven guys in the box between, you know, the five offensive linemen, the tight end and Faison. So what does that mean is, is, you know, Louisville technically had to commit that many kind of players uh, to the box as well. And so what that did, what that allowed for was basically kind of man, man to man here on the backside. Um, and basically, you know, what, what Notre Dame was able to do in this play is, is just kind of flood out um, some zones and make one of these, these cornerbacks ultimately decide what they want to do. And so when Faison is running this deep kind of over route, and then the tight end is also sneaking out into a pass over here, you have basically the free safety has to decide, okay, do I help down low on the tight end or do I let this guy kind of go over the top? Um, and, and he'd out- never seen number 80 before. So he's like, oh, of course I'm going to take the tight end. <laughs> right. And so when you load it up like this and you'll, you, you make Louisville kind of commit this many players to the box, you're going to get basically one-on-one everyone everywhere else. And then you run one man and into like a, a zone area where two guys kind of have to decide what's, you know, do I take this guy or not? And they end up passing him off, and it just allowed enough time for that ball to get over the top of the, you know, the defensive back that's that's running underneath it. So, mm-hmm. I just i I don't know, like that was clearly a concept that kind of worked. And I, I guess the biggest frustration on top of the, some of the stuff that we just talked about is I don't like Marcus or sorry Jared Parker really didn't seem like the second half was worse than the first half. They didn't do anything in the second half to, to try to find things that were working for them successfully and keep doing them over and over. They just kept lining up under center and third and short and losing yards on every pivotal third down. I just don't understand how, when you're seeing these eight, nine man boxes, they're not just automatically throwing more. It's, it, it seems very simple. Like Notre Dame's receivers and tight ends should be able to win, you know, at least a, at least 70% I would think, but I don't know. I just think, I just want to, I just want to bring these up one more time just to kind of look at, I just, (laughs) I think these numbers are pretty damning to be honest with you. Like, and there's nothing that's, that's the hard reality about the numbers is they're, they're they're never going to lie to you. An under 20% motion rate. Listen, every staff has a guy who is crunching numbers like this like bill belichick when he is breaking in you know like the analysts and you know like all those everyone who ends up being an assistant coach on belichick's staff has worked their way up and they're where they start is in a film room and 
you know, like they'll be assigned an opponent and they basically crunch all these numbers like this on every game an opponent has played so they can get this kind of statistical data. Like that's what those guys do. They just sit there and they're in that film room for like 15, 16 hours a day and they're crunching films on opponents so they can have these kind of tendencies. You know, what are they going to do with this personnel on the field? What are they going to do in third and short? What are they going to do third and five? You know, all these different situations, that's all these guys are doing. And this is just plain data that, that everyone has at this point. That's why you have all those analysts on the staff. This is, this is not like some kind of propri- proprietary data. Everyone's got this kind of stuff. And when you look at it like this, it's, it's pretty simple and it's pretty damning really. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately at the end of the day, you know, I, I get that and I get it, you know, Marcus Freeman isn't just going to sit there and throw his, his, his coaches under the bus, but right. there's just got to be more accountability before you kind of just go out there and say stuff. That's not, you know, this isn't on execution. This is literally play calls on certain moments in the game where it's third and short, it's third and five. And your, your play caller just isn't calling the play to that's giving your, your offense the most, uh, what's the word that the, the highest chance of success rate essentially, right? Like I showed that picture. He talked about blocking and execution. Well, everyone blocked, everyone ox- executed. The offensive coordinator called a horrible play with nine, 10 guys in the box and there was no audible to check out of it. Uh, so what do you, what are they supposed to do in that instance? They got to run the play and it's a failure because you called that play. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Do you have any more whiteboard material? That's it. Uh, unfortunately, the the how quickly I went through this, I wish I'd had more to say. Well, this is I mean, this is good data. But, you know, again, like being able to sit here and look at this. And I think here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to take a picture of this. So we have this so that uh, we've got that. And I'll do something with that a little bit later. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that is it's, you know, again, like when you look at that. And the fact that plays under center, you know that they're going to run 82% of the time as soon as they go under center. And uh, when they're in shotgun, they're going to throw it 75% of the time. That's just based on what they're doing, you know, one way or another. Now, granted, it's, it's just one game, but they became very... It became very obvious what they were going to do. And it became very obvious that Louisville knew what they were going to do.